For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a show at the intersection of sports, media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the host and executive producer, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with Solomon Wilcots, a former NFL player turned broadcaster whose work I've always respected and appreciated very much. After many years at ESPN, CBS, and the NFL Network, he now has a daily satellite radio show on SiriusXM, and he co-hosts a show on the Believe Podcast Network same network this show's on, called Believe in Bengals. His co-host is Adam Pac-Man Jones, and Pac-Man is where we start. This is Solomon's Wisdom with Solomon Wilcots. And I'm gonna, I'll share this with you. He's, this is what Mike Brown, the owner of the Bengals, told me, and I, I found this to be true. He says, if this guy was born in another time to, you know, in a different situation, he was like, there's no telling what he could have become. That's that's kind of how I describe Adam Jones to most people. Why? Because, because he's a very, very smart guy. He and intuitively smart. Like, so I'll tell you what he told me because I took him out for a round of golf one time. And he said, Solomon, he says, look, he says, you know what my problem is? I don't have a middle level of emotional um, control. That's how he explained it. I don't have a mid-level of emotional control. I'm either here and he had his hand very high. He said, or here and he had his hand very low. <laughs> like, yeah. I said, well, if you know that about yourself, why don't you know what your triggers are? And he well, says. Is, is he talking to someone? Is he, you know, he's getting to be an older guy. I mean, there's, oh, there's ways to I, find uh, emotional you, awareness. That's yeah, well, healthy. And he knows, and he is aware he okay. just has these triggers, and I will share this with you. The reason why, you know why he kept getting jobs in the NFL? Mm. Because by the time you really get down to it, he he's like Jesse James. He's the fastest gun in the West. There are so many people who they get liquored up and they want to try him. <laughs> Can you yeah. imagine that? Like, yeah. So that's why teams kept bringing him back, because – by the time in, the investigation goes on and everything, you'll find out that people like really come after him or the trash talking starts and this, but it's always, um, I don't say always, but large percentage of the time, other people have instigated it. Yeah. His, his off-field issues with all the suspensions. And- yeah, with, because people are looking for lawsuits. And so he's a guy that can't, he can't even go out in public. Like he can't go to a bar like you or I and have a mm. have a mm. beer or two because people are going to come over. Mm. They're going to have a few pops and then they're going to come over and then it, ex- mm. it escalates. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Mm. You know, I, I got to know Charles Barkley a bit when I was playing in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, and we, we were, you know, pals, I, we'd hang out a little bit. Um, and, you know, being around him and and out a couple of times, it was always up. friendly, but he told me of multiple occasions where he's like, I, just some guy comes up to me 
and full go, you know, ready to run me over chest off. <laughs> He's like, that's exactly you know, right. Because Charles can be an, an igniter himself. So that's right. And that's how Adam is. So once you kind of think of it as the wild west with Jesse James, and the reputation that he had. And that every time he goes to a saloon, right? Someone yeah. wants to wants to go out in the middle of the street and draw. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do have to, you know, at some point when you're Adam or Charles, you do have to stop going to places like that. Or, That's right. That's right. Or if you have enough money, just hire someone. That's right. Uh, you know, that can well, be. That's right. You know, and that's that, where, that's where. You just have to, is he yeah. growing up? Is he figuring that out? Oh, yeah. He really is. And that, right. I knew it would happen as soon as his career was over. I'd always told him, I said, your career is over. You'll know that you'll have to get it right because there will be no team there to save you. Right now, you've got this, you know, when he was playing, there was always some team and some owner. Like Jerry Jones loves him, loves the guy. Uh, Mike Brown and Mike Brown doesn't like is he anybody. A good guy? Is he a good guy? I mean, <laughs> Adam, a lot of baggage here. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I know it's hard for me to explain it to people, but I can tell you, Ed, I live in Cincinnati. This is one of the most conservative areas you could ever live in. Yeah, I had a teammate go from Arizona to there, and it sort of blew his mind. This is Trump country. Yeah, like yeah. on on steroids. So, and I'm a member of the country club here. Play golf, you know. All the guys there. Love Adam Jones. You'd be shocked. You'd be, but you got to understand Cincinnati. This is where Jerry Springer's from. You know, he was like our local sports anchor. And the people here loved Jerry Springer, even though he's the antithesis of their all their political views. He's the on the opposite end of that. But it's just a weird kind of dichotomy. But Adam, that's why he stayed here. He, the people here love him and they treat him wonderfully. And when you hear them talk about him, they were like, I love that guy. Mm. And then they, you know what they would say? Because he's real and because he's smart and because you can have a conversation with this guy and he blows you away with the things that he understands and knows. That's, that's, and I'm like, yeah. And, hey. and you, what's nice. Yeah. And you and I are seeing this. You and I are essentially of the same era and have very mm -hmm. similar career paths, you yeah. know, from out of the NFL, right into I think you went local first, didn't you? Do some that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the chair yeah. hosting. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, doing the anchor. That's amazing. I did everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But for someone like Adam mm -hmm. and um, so many athletes that have uh, a personality, he can have a whole second, third act of his life now. That, yes. You know, for us, there was what five seats you could go get as an analyst. You can make your own seat now. That's with right. podcasts like you're doing with That's him. Right. That's uh, right. So, so he can, there's a lot of yeah. growth for him yet to go if he, if he keeps, you know, figuring it out. You and I coming out of old media into new media, you know, I mean, think of some of the old media places we worked at. When I went to ABC Sports, they still had an executive dining room on an entire floor in Manhattan yeah. for ABC Sports. Yeah. There were six executives. <laughs> they had a dining room floor, right? So, you go yeah. from that to the new media, you know, stuff that we're doing and people like uh, Adam Jones are doing. It's a real sort of revolution of uh, platforms for athletes and people. Very true. Very uh, he, true. He can have a whole other second and third act. Oh, yeah. And he's got a huge following, too. Anything he posts on Instagram and they love him. That's great. He, you know, so yeah. he's, I think he's a. Well, it's good. To, it's good to hear. 
mm-hmm. it's good to hear he's finding his way and, and it's found a place he feels safe and happy. That's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it, one thing that this is all rife with Solomon and, and as an ex player, you know, now being open to talk about it, the black experience, both in America, but also with football yeah. is, is a really uniquely American thing because right. football college high level college and pro is mostly black athletes. It's a high percentage of black athletes. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, yesterday I posted an episode, I played with Lincoln Kennedy in college mm-hmm. uh, and Lincoln played for Gruden in his first stint and did the full buy-in and yeah, played yeah. Solomon. You know what it is to buy in fully when someone's trying to change a program. That's right. That's you know, right. I think you guys did it while you were at Colorado. That's right. You know, you got to turn a whole battleship and Lincoln was one of the leaders and just how he felt so undercut mm. and really hurt by those racist emails. Um, and, you know, as we all, as people in and around the NFL, I sort of feel like the story that's being missed here a little bit, and, and it is hurtful. And I think Lincoln and, and almost everyone in that organization, we've seen them as a team come around to, you know, it was a guy who did some bad stuff and he's gone. We're moving on. And I, yeah. you know, I hope that's the case. And Lincoln, you know, feels like it is. But what's sort of lost here is what a awful, awful organization the Washington football team is. And I know that there's been changes, but you're now a reporter. You know, you I was an analyst. You're both an analyst and a reporter. So, you you know, yeah. you have to get <laughs> uh, uh, all your sourcing and all that stuff. Yeah. I had a conversation the other day with a friend who we were talking about the Gruden thing. Should he have been fired or not based on just legal things? Yeah. And this guy knows the NFL, knows about it. He had no idea that there were photos sent in this batch of emails of cheerleaders of the Washington football team topless between these two men. Yeah. And racism's one thing, you start to see that, but you know, where in the middle do you as a former player, a black player, now covering this? You know, how do, how do you step back from some of these dumpster fires and say, you know, what is this game? What's going on racially? And because, and, we're you know, we're all so enmeshed with this. Yeah. You know, I, I step back because to really um, think about the height and the depths of this of this problem. It can, it, in some ways, it can be very over, overwhelming and in a lot of ways, very discouraging. And I refuse to allow that to happen. Mm. But, but um, you got to understand, this is, it was an environment where John uh, Gruden felt comfortable having the exchange, okay? Um, I, it led me to understand and think more big picture about the emails that were exchange between owners talking about Colin Kaepernick, because remember, John spoke about Eric Reed, which means he spoke about Colin Kaepernick. That led me to think about how the owners had a conversation with a batch of emails about Colin Kaepernick, which is why they eventually settled the yeah, case. Yeah, they had with to him. settle. They had to settle with Kaepernick. They're, they're, yeah. They were not getting out of collusion. Because they had deal. emails. Yeah. They had these emails in. So I'm just giving you my thought process here and how it sent me to having that thought. And I said, I, I suspect this is the reporter in me. You see, 
that by reasonable, by reasonable deduction, the conversation in those batch of emails between owners about Colin Kaepernick that led them to settle with Colin Kaepernick was similar to the things that John Gruden was saying about Colin Kaepernick and about women and about, oh, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, th- so it led me to step back to say, there's an environment here that's really toxic when we really, if we really would peel back the layers, and take a look at it. And so, and then it answered a deep, profound question that has been um, maybe at the forefront of how we've been thinking lately. Why are there not um, a higher number of African-American head coaches and general managers in this league? And people have been asking these questions. Just this summer, I moderated a panel to which uh, Andy Reid and and Coach Bill Belichick was gracious with their time to serve on that panel, as well as the owner of the Falcons, Arthur Blank, and uh, Mr. McCaskey, the owner of the Bears. And I asked some real fundamental questions. We had a really good audience of, of coaches from around the league and college football. It was all done virtually. You know, you know, we keep asking these questions, but I think sometimes these answers reveal themselves differently. And I think the fact that there is a conversation being had offline, if you will, right, through these email chains between owners, and between head coaches who think they have um, the security of this hidden apparatus to be able to have that kind of exchange. And I think that's the answer to our question. Why are there not a higher number of African-American well, or, mini- or minority coaches and general managers? Well, when you're, having, when you're hearing conversations like that, I think we now kind of know why. And that, that hurts me to come to that conclusion. You and I played in the NFL. You played defensive back. I played offensive line. How important is a really good quarterback to winning in the NFL? When Colin Kaepernick couldn't get a job after kneeling for the flag, Mm -hmm. I, as a former offensive lineman, got upset. Because if I were on a team with a turkey, a quarterback, which – you know, half the teams in the NFL do not have a quarterback that could help them win a championship. They just don't. That position is that important, you know? That one I, blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that one, will, you know, because one of the I, top five to 10 quarterbacks in the league. Well, if you, uh, you know, I do some work with PFF, Pro Football Focus, and I did the data, I pulled the data, did the research, and Unfortunately, over Colin Kaepernick's last couple of years in the league, his production had really declined. Yeah. After Jim Harbaugh left, yeah. Jim Harbaugh and Greg Roman, after they left, he was no longer featured in the kind of offense that saw him have this meteoric rise. And if you go back to his days at the University of Nevada, yeah, that was very much more college-based uh, uh, offense. I think. Well, it was it was yeah. like what you see Lamar Jackson. Right. I mean, the answer to your question is if. Colin was still within an offense like a Greg Roman had at the time. He would still be producing, but it, I think it was clear that just like Lamar Jackson, if you tried to shoehorn him in an offense that was previously played by Joe Flacco in Baltimore, you wouldn't, right, you're not right, going to get right, this kind right. of production. Yeah, yeah. But if yeah. you get Lamar in his element now, you see he's an MVP. He's going right. to take you to the playoffs every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. That kind of, yeah. This is kind of answering the question. I saw the production decline 
because I saw the environment around him change. And then I also saw him opt out of his contract, which while I support what he kneeled for, because I thought he was highlighting something um, in in, uh, minority communities and the violence that was taking place at the hand of local law enforcement, he was not against the military. He was not against the American flag. That whole messaging thing got sort of steered in a direction that really caused more problems than anything. However, but if we were just talking about his ability to play, even the Baltimore Ravens wanted to sign him. And then his girlfriend sends out a tweet attacking the Ravens um, and and uh, yeah. sort of criticizing them for standing behind someone like Ray Lewis. The Ravens backed off it. The Ravens don't go around talking about inclusion and diversity. They live it, right? With Adi, Ozzie Newsom's a two-time NFL executive of the year. Yeah. Um, uh, if you could know anything about John Wooten, a guy who worked in behind the scenes, a director, player personnel, look at the quarterback that they have now. They're willing to change their whole program right. to fit this quarterback in there. And so every at every level, and I've been in that building, I've spoken to the owner, Steve Bishotti, they don't blow the trumpet of diversity and inclusion. Somehow or another, they just tend to live it. And, um, and you could see the fruits of it is that they are highly productive. They're a winning program. And yeah. it's, one, and it's yeah. one that I think is doing a lot of good things. Yeah, it reminds me of the Steelers under yeah. Cower. That's right. That's um, right. That's where point. guys could leave and come, but they honored the people who played. But I, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and I, I, I remember one of my last assignments, I think, before uh, I was done at ESPN was I covered Lamar Jackson at Louisville late in the season, uh, the year he won the Heisman. And I would go in on Fridays and watch the film. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at his grade reports and nobody really knows what they're saying. I watched him. I was like, you, somebody's got to grab this guy. That's right. That's he throws, right. He's right. accurately uh, accurate. He's uh, effortless. He's, he's the fastest, quickest guy on the field. And uh, isn't he a great competitor? Like oh, when the yeah, game's yeah. on the line, Ed, he, yeah, he, he when the really game's fun. on the line, now he goes to another level. He, yeah, he, he really rises yeah. in a way that, uh, that is very impressive. Yeah. So in this role um, where, you know, you're covering this game, where's the hope? You know, you, I, I, I love the Baltimore uh, story, but where's the hope? Where's the, you know, because there are a lot of really good people. We wouldn't still be talking about it. We wouldn't still, you wouldn't still be around if there weren't some good there. That's right. You know, wh- right. what are you seeing with maybe it's the Ravens, maybe it's some other things that, you know, just the good people are shining through. Here, here is what I know, because you you touched upon it earlier when you talked about our sport um, and, you know, it's always been a democratizing um, spirit about the game of football. You step across those lines. It's not about who your parents are. It's not about where you were born or where you were raised or, you know, um, what you had bequeathed to you. Man, you had to go out there and earn it, Ed. Am I right? I mean, yeah. you, you know, and yeah. your teammates knew. And you knew. Yeah, you knew the frauds, both coaches right. and players right. immediately. It's immediately. so naked and so true and so yeah. real. Yeah. All the people who said these things about uh, Lamar Jackson, oh, he should be a receiver. Oh, he can't play from behind. Oh, he can't th- play from the pocket. Guess what? 
He's, he, every single time he steps out there, he's proving people wrong, right? Because I, I laugh because as an ex-announcer, those are as code as it gets. That's exactly. It's a coded language. And, and But here's the deal. He's got something. He's got an opportunity to do something about it, and he's doing it. And he's winning. And I'll tell you what he did. 2018, he gets drafted. That offense they're running is meant for Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco is a he's, – he's, he's, you can see he's at the end of it. And John Harbaugh is in the last year of his contract. And oh, it's clear right. that he was that's already right. told they got to make the playoffs. He's, he's going to be gone. The whole thing's coming to an end now. You know what they did? They changed the entire offense midseason. Mm. They put the kid in there. He goes on a run. Yeah. They go to the playoffs. He saves um, John Harbaugh's job. And then guess what? They start putting more of the offense in, not less of it. They're not trying to forcing like what happened in San Francisco at the end of Collins tenure, where they were trying to get him to play more like the other guys. No, Baltimore said, no, keep doing more what you do. Let's they double down on it is what they did. And that's when he won MVP in 2019. And he's taking them to the playoffs every year. What I'm trying to do is paint a picture of how Harbaugh, his job was saved. Let's be honest. His job, and now he's like, wait well, a, a brilliant job. Hats off completely. That's, that's a right. big, that's, that's right. a big gamble. And, you're jumping, and, you're jumping on both feet with that. And he loves this player. This player loves him. I mean, you would think they're father and son. You would think the yeah. way that Greg Roman said this offseason, this offense will evolve. I, I had him on an interview. He said it. Yeah. And now what we see is them coming back from a 19-point deficit on Monday night when in years past, I'm not so sure that could have happened. Yeah. But that shows you the evolution of this player, of this offense, and of the organization. I think they are a model of what you and I are talking about, that when we're not worried about what it looks like, what the wrapper of the individual looks like, when we just go for substance and we put the focus and energy on winning – and working and together good and good yeah people. yeah working together yeah emails yeah leadership doesn't worry about who gets the credit Ed. that did you know that well good it, leadership <laughs> that's right good, good leader that's right good leadership doesn't worry about who gets the credit it's because the focus is on just let's get it done let's win and that's what i i believe in those principles of our game and I, you know, I really believe that that's what rings true. And I think that's ultimately, and I've, I've said this, people who don't understand that, that when we're unified, we have, we bring people in the room who are the best and the brightest, right? And if we don't worry about what they look like, we just worry about what's, what's deep down inside. What is the substance of a person or of a man or of a woman and what they can provide? Where is the value add? And we don't worry about what they look like or what they sound like. Just worry about the substance. Those are the companies that are going to thrive. And, and the ones that don't, and, yeah. yeah, the ones that don't recognize it are going to lag behind. So this thing is going to sort itself out. That's what I'm here to tell you. The, the winners are going to be the ones who do it right. And, and the ones who don't, they're going to remain behind. They're going to be laggards in the market. That's what's going to happen. We were talking about the the sport of football, you know, predominantly black player, and 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 this is something I I I brought up the Washington football team earlier. I grew up outside of D.C., and one of the reasons I'm an offensive lineman is because of uh, 
that team's offensive line, the Hogs. I don't know if you remember the Hogs. Oh, I do. Absolutely. That's, why, that's basically why I played football in high school. So, you know, and then they, Doug Williams wins a Super Bowl, black quarterback. My high school had a black quarterback. But as I started moving up, and this is in the early 80s, mid 80s, into the early 90s, into my broadcast career, well into the 2000s, you would hear all the time that this black player quarterback in high school was being recruited as an athlete, was being brought in to redirect towards wide receiver, to redirect to another position. And it was a pretty open secret that a lot of coaches felt that black players couldn't handle playing quarterback because of the, uh, you know, the things you had to know and all that. It, it was, wasn't hidden Solomon. This was pretty common. I saw <laughs> have you, have you heard that witness that? Because it was pretty common for me to see that steering and, and change of direction for black oh. athletes away from yeah. quarterback. Oh, here you heard it all the time. I mean, so I grew up in Los Angeles, California. And I remember um, there was a guy by the name of Warren Moon. You may remember him because he was. Well, I went to the University of Washington. So he was the start of the Don Day era. Yes. And, so and, I, I know and, Warren. And, yeah. and, and we in L.A., we loved Warren because I was a um, I was a high school student when he's playing in the orange, uh, playing in the Rose Bowl. They beat um, I think it was Michigan. Yep. Um, they beat one of the big 10. You guys beat him. And and then I'm waiting for him to get drafted and he done. He doesn't get a sniff. And I'm like, what a travesty. This is like, and I mean, that was, it was a rude awakening for me because I'm just a high school student. And I'm like, wait a minute. I had always heard about it, heard about this kind of stuff. You know, James Harris, and he played for the LA Rams and grew up watching him. And, and uh, he couldn't get a, you know, getting, couldn't get uh, a real great opportunity to remain the quarterback of the LA Rams. Yeah. Um, and so we saw it. But man, when it happened to Warren Moon, like no team wanted him at quarterback. And then he goes up to Canada and just wins the championship every year for five straight years. You know? mm-hmm. So, so no, it was something that um, we that we've known the coded language that's ultimately used when that opportunity has been denied. But again, I've always believed that that would break through. And I remember because I went to school in Boulder, Colorado, and I remember it was my rookie year. I'm back in school. I got to finish up a few classes. Um, so I'm getting ready for some classes. It was in uh, the spring term of 87. That's when the Redskins were playing in the Super Bowl. Guess, mm-hmm. guess who? John Elway. And mm-hmm. I'm living, I'm in Boulder, Colorado, watching the Denver Broncos play. Yep. And all my friends were Denver Broncos fans. And I said, are you kidding me? This is a historic day. Doug Williams is about to break through the ceiling and prove once and for all at this notion that a guy who's an African-American can't win a Super Bowl, can't play quarterback, it, it ends today. That's what, that's here. And when he, play, now he didn't just play and win. He played well. And you know this, Ed. He oh, was yeah. phenomenal that day, right? Oh, yeah. It was and a legendary so, day. For it was a legendary. It was history yeah. making. And I yeah. knew it was going to happen. For me, it was, it was a, I said, this is a day to be remembered forever. And when he did it, I thought it was going to change change everything it was a it was a milestone it was a it, it broke through that ceiling and it's still a notable moment but you know there was still we were still striving and we still are I mean you see yeah. what, what's being said about Lamar Jackson however it's it shows you that 
on the field of battle and on that field, that's where changes are made. That's where things, things and, do and, change. Yeah. And I'm optimistic about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you have an interesting path because you were talking about going to class at Colorado. Mm-hmm. I became a quasi journalist through the mm-hmm. trade. I learned how to study and learn story and all that, but you went to journalism school. You, you know, got a journalism degree, mm-hmm. which is pretty rare for ball players. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, you know, in, in, you know, clearly a thoughtful guy, clearly, you know, you know, you walk the line of opinion and also having that reporter hat, but what drove you, what inspired you, who inspired you to get into actual, not my kind of journalism, but literal mm-hmm. journalism that you practice. Yeah. I, I studied English literature and then I went over to the journalism school um, I had a really wonderful professor in the, in the English literature department um, and we talked and, and I told her that's what I really wanted to do. And, and um, she took me over to the J school and met with the Dean of journalism. And, and I remember the very first paper I wrote over um, it was a purporting paper. I remember she just, she marked this thing up. It was red ink everywhere. Ed, and, yeah. and I remember she said, um, Solomon here in the journalism school, we don't write that way. In other words, I wrote with these long prose. You know, English oh, literature yeah. is different. You're reading Shakespeare and Chaucer, and you're reading, you, know, you can't. Over here, we write at fourth grade reading level, right? That's yeah. when the newspaper is written on that level. And, and uh, I think uh, Twitter's written even lower than that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I actually just started getting active on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I hate to admit it. I like it. It's, real, it's, it's pretty intuitive for me. Yeah, I, I thought I would hate it, but I need to do it for the show. And I very I'm not gonna lie, I, I sort of like right. it. Yeah, I like yeah. that fourth grade level. But anyway, no, I, I you know, my my dad is a Baptist minister. So I grew up in church my whole life. So I loved reading, um, you know, obviously grew up reading the Bible and studying um, um, studying scripture. And then, so I became a real fast, really fascinated with history. So as a kid, I read, you know, Greek mythologies and Roman, um, history and, um, loved Western civilization in terms of, you know, the Greeks and the Romans, which led us to Great Britain. And, and then that's how I became interested in Shakespeare. And so all of that is what really, I loved the storytelling of sports and wanted to apply the art of storytelling to sports. And the one place that did it as well as anyone was NFL films. And so whenever I watched NFL films, I was mm. like, that's, that's it. I mean, that's yeah. the, the highest art form of, of storytelling in our game is NFL films. And it's something I think even major league baseball and the NBA just still there. They, they envy what we have yeah. within a film films. If they had an uh, uh, apparatus like that to tell you, your story, right? <laughs> and you spent time inside the shield. Uh, exactly. With NFL Network. So you had, exactly. you had access to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, so I, so just learning the art form. And then when I went to work in a local television station, you know, I went in as an unpaid intern. So I learned to edit first. And I obviously learned how to write. And I, then I became a producer. Then I became a reporter. And this was straight news, not just sports. That's right. Yes. Straight news. And, and then doing, um, for a while. Yeah. And I, and you know, I remember when I went to go, you were a news anchor. 
No, I did sports. I was okay. Sports okay. Singer. So you reported uh, yeah. news and then this. Okay. There you so go. You and were legit. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I, but I covered, a, I remember the Bengals, they went to federal court in Chicago. They were being, the IRS claimed that Mike Brown didn't pay the inheritance tax when Paul Brown, the late, great Paul Brown had passed away. Mike becomes the owner. And the IRS was claiming they owed $40 million in back wow. taxes. So I, I went, my that. station yeah. sent me to the courtroom in Chicago to cover the case. And all of our news anchors were like, why, why are you sending this guy? And they were like, Sullivan can handle it. He'll be fine. <laughs> and, and so they sent me with a photographer and a sketch artist. That's all I had. <laughs> were, you, were, you, were you in over your head or did you think no, you had? No, I hit, that's, that, that made my day. I, that's what got me promoted. It got, you know, nice. that's, you know, every day, every time I tell people all the time, you know, in order to be successful in life, you need a good teacher, you need good teammates, and then you need to pass the test. And that was and, the and test. Everybody's got to pass a test. You and I both know that, Ed. And that was my, that was my test, put it that way. <laughs> and how did the case turn out? Did they owe money? Uh, no, they did it. In fact, uh, I remember Mike Brown two days into the week long uh, sort of hearing he came out, he says, Solomon, I understand you have a pretty good grasp of the proceedings here. And I said, well, how would you know that? Well, his wife, Nancy, was back in Cincinnati watching the news every day when I would come out, file my reports on the evening news. She was like, oh, he gets it. Oh, he's telling the story perfectly how it happened. And what happened was there was, I don't want to get too deep into it, but. I love it. Uh, you kidding me? This is courtroom yeah. drama. Go for so it. So Mike Brown, the, the dad, Paul Brown, they had a business bar. They had a minority owner. Uh, his name was John Sawyer, who he had fallen into some issues where he had some problems with a bunch of land holdings he had with his cattle. And he, he did, he took, he borrowed some money from Paul Brown, from the Bengals. They gave him some money and he literally gave the money back. So they basically tried to say that Mike Brown circumvented inheritance tax laws through this intricate loan that they had given um, uh, the minority owner. And now he's paying it back um, without any interest. They're saying that's all he did was gave the shares to John Sawyer. John Sawyer gave the shares to you. As it turns out, it was perfectly legal because what if John Sawyer's wouldn't have given the shares back? (laughs) He would have been the owner of the team. And so the owner, the guy who's getting sued by the IRS wife is saying, go talk to Solomon. Did he hit you up for any information or how you felt it was going? No, it was, it was the owner's wife, Mike Brown. He was owner. So it was Nancy Brown, who just, she's back home watching it on television. And she, you know, obviously it's her husband. So she knew the story and knew what the truth was. And uh, based on my reporting, she agreed that, okay, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And so she did tell Mike that no, Solomon's doing a good job and he nailed it. And so he was pleased that I was able to at least convey to the viewing audience what what really happened happened because they weren't allowed in the courtroom. So he was just happy that at least I was able to after sitting in court all day, I should understand what's happening because try sitting in court all day for eight hours and have to go and write your story and tell the American public what happened. And you do that every day for five straight days. That's why I'm saying what you did was yeah. legit. That's why you jumped over the sports desk as fast as you could. <laughs> as soon as you passed yeah. your test. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, I tell people I speak with uh, kids in journalism school all the time. I said, listen, here's what it takes to be a good reporter and good 
uh, you know, broadcaster and news reporter, but you just got to have to be a curious soul. You, if you're curious, mm. then research and reading and getting down to the truth would, that's no problem. It's, but it all starts from having this curiosity about things. And it is the curiosity that drives us to really do the research and do the work. As you well know, Ed, only a small percentage of our time is spent in front of the camera presenting. 90% of our time is digging and, and putting and gathering information, right? News gathering. That's most of our time is spent there. Very small percentage of our time is actually spent um, presenting the materials that we spent a lot of times creating. Yeah. Well, I, I've watched you uh, for a long time. I, I always liked the connection we had, both players, um, you know, trying to be a little more serious about the job of journalism, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Um, and I've always appreciated your work. Uh, and uh, Appreciate I it. Really Thank appreciate you. the time, Solomon. You can hear Solomon mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern on Sirius XM, NFL Radio's The Opening Drive. And his podcast, Believe in Bengals, with Adam Pacman jones You can find that wherever you find your podcasts. And to bring it full circle on the title of this episode, if you've been following along, you can follow Solomon on Twitter at Solomon's Wisdom. That's at S-O-L-O-M-O-N-S, Wisdom. Thanks again, Solomon. It was great to connect. Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated. And this episode was produced by Josh Fisher and me, and edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. Along with Josh, the Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat are producer Alex Tosopoulos, audio engineer Carter, Connor Haynes, and Cam Rogers, marketing directors, and Cam also hosts Golf Bets on Us. And my first contact with Team Believe, Bron Husenstam, the chief exec. Thanks, everybody. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. You can follow the show on social media. Twitter is at Let's Huddle With. Facebook page, Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham. And Instagram, Let's underscore Huddle underscore With underscore Ed. If you want to come right to the source, the show's webpage, come to Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Scroll through their lineup, including Solomon's show. Then search up Let's Huddle to get to the show's homepage. And reach out. Let us know what you think. Any corrections, clarifications, any guests or topics, shoot us a note. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.